This is Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Each week, we feature conversations with experts in leadership, management, human resources, culture, and technology to help you succeed in this new normal. This is your host, Benoit Ardivalé. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Abrupt Future. Today on the show, we speak with Laurel Farrer. Laurel, you are the CEO of Distribute Consulting, the founder of the Remote Work Association, and a writer for Forbes magazines and other business publications. Laurel, thanks for joining and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Well, I think it's a timely one with now that uh, a lot of our listeners and people on earth are generally forced to experience the work from home model, which is something that you've been giving um, a lot of thoughts and have applied a lot of of your work in, in developing thinking ideas and approach to it. What I found, though, is that in the literature, compared to the work that you have been doing, I haven't seen enough, I would say, consideration for the broader economic impact of having remote workforce. So my first question for you is, what do you see as the main economic impact of virtual job? And is that something that can benefit cities, communities, or countries as a whole? Absolutely. This is a lot of uh, government work that we do at Distribute Consulting, which is considering the larger impact. And like you said, there's there's multiple uh, effects there. There's diversity and inclusion and environmental sustainability um, and, and many, many others. However, one that we're seeing that is a, an urgent need and very supported both on the public and private sectors is this economic development conversation. Because workers are mobile when they are remote workers, they can they are less tethered to a specific location, such as an office, um, suddenly they have much more freedom in where they live. And so that opens up this incredible opportunity for people to be earning urban level salaries, but living in rural uh, local costs and being having a much, much higher personal profit margin. And so it's fascinating to see what's happening as people are given more choice. They don't have to be within a certain number of miles or minutes to an urban area in order to commute to the office. Suddenly they have more choice in where they live. And so what we're noticing and, and watching emerge is this entirely new method of economic development, which is essentially marketing your com- your your city and community and attracting people to live there without having to first attract the businesses. Because that was the traditional model was attract businesses and then the businesses bring workers. But now we're seeing that reversed, bring workers and then the workers bring industry and then the industry brings business. So it's going to be a very revolutionary time in terms of economic development. And in one way, it feels like we have been maybe neglecting that for a while. Because even though remote working technologies and even work practices exist for about 20 years or so, we are still mostly living in the traditional model of let's try to live not too far away from the office so that we can commute. And then we end up with a couple of big cities having the 
larger share of workers, especially the knowledge workers. When you think of it, though, there's probably tons of very nice communities where people could work and earn a decent wage without having to live near the big city and, and live in that, that commute. Have you seen a couple of examples of communities that have embraced this model? Absolutely. We've um, been involved in a number of contracts through um, multiple countries and United States that have that are trying to level this for different reasons. So some are trying to push the the agendas of rural communities and reducing the urban-rural divide. And so there's this massive discrepancy between the wealth and urban areas. And just a few hours away, this impoverished um, counties in, in the same state or in the same country. And by allowing more flexibility in the urban workers and giving them that freedom and, and permission to live um, just a, a bit farther away from the office you know, still have access to the office, but just live a little bit farther away so that the commute doesn't have to be daily, then it's really spreading the wealth out through the uh, and standardizing the income earnings of the entire community and the residents within it. And maybe if there is one silver lining in all this awful crisis could be making it more accessible, I guess, or more tangible as a workable model to have people embracing this way of working because what we're basically doing is showing to a lot of company that this can work right business can still go on obviously not in a perfect setting but it seems like we're relatively successful in showing that this could actually work absolutely there have been so many businesses that have considered remote work or have thought about it but then they thought they were they were hesitant they were prevented by a um, myth or misconceptions like, oh, I don't know if this is realistic for our team, or there's too many elements of our industry that it may not be compatible. You know, there was just so much fear of the unknown. And so typically in the change management consulting process, we would help them understand that it is much more realistic and easy to implement than they anticipated by just conducting a trial and just uh, convincing them to just give it a shot, see what goes wrong, and then we'll, we'll troubleshoot from there. And and typically, when they had that trial, they were able to see, oh, this isn't as scary as we thought. And that's exactly what we're watching on a global scale. Like, oh, this was this wasn't quite as hard as we thought. So the problem is that what's happening now is that people are allowing their workforce to work remotely. However, they're not truly comprehensively adopting remote work into their operational infrastructure. So that's the next barrier that we'll need to overcome is, okay, let's not just change workplace, but let's change operations. Let's change management. Let's really leverage this because you're not going to see those larger impacts like true workforce diversity and and more permission and freedom to live other places and employee empowerment, higher productivity and all of the benefits that companies need and want to access, they're not going to see those until they truly adopt remote work instead of just allowing it. And that's an excellent point, right? Adopting rather than just allowing it. What would be good guidelines or best practices to make sure that as an organization, we transition peacefully to toward a state where we have a lot more distributed work. So here at Distribute Consulting, we have a four-step management process that takes people through this change 
process. And the first thing that we do is we evaluate what's going well and what's not going well. But we do this with a lens of decades of experience of remote work because the cruel irony of going remote is that you really don't know what you don't know. This is new territory and it's uncharted waters for for anybody doing it for the first time. And so often the barriers that you should know about, you don't know about them until you come upon them. Like, oh, I haven't even thought of, you know, workplace safety standards in home offices until all of a sudden you have a lawsuit on your hands. Like you're just, you just don't know what you should be thinking about proactively. And so that is what we do as consultants as we say, all right, you know, based on all of our experience, where are the gaps still existing? You know, how far do you have to go? And so that's the the first step is analysis. Then we create resources. So there's a lot of resources that are needed in order to construct a virtual business. Um, I always say that physical businesses are built with, you know, file cabinets and bricks and virtual businesses are built with software and processes. And so we make sure that you are truly moving and translating your physical office into a virtual office by creating those resources. So communication channels, uh, software stacks, remote work policies, digital handbooks, things like that, that you're remote workers will need in order to access all of the resources that they need to do their job from anywhere, whether they be at the office or at home or in a co-working space or wherever. So that step two is to create the resources. Then step three is to get leadership and workforce training. Remote work isn't very different, but it is, it's just different enough that you really need some very zoomed in training and education about what makes it different. It's not just a matter of changing your workplace. Like I said, it's a matter of changing habits, changing communication style, being aware of how to collaborate in a virtual environment. And so it's really critical to get training for both your workforce and your management. And then the last step is that we measure you know, um, we measure impact and calculate financial savings that are going to come from this change. And that's something that so many people are missing. They think, oh, this is going to be more convenient, or this is going to be, you know, helpful and, and fun for my employees. And most leaders are completely neglecting the fact that there are immense corporate benefits to be reaped if they are willing to do this in the right way. The average cost savings from taking a role from physical to virtual is between 11 and 20,000 US dollars per year per employee. I mean, that's wow. exactly like that translates into huge, huge savings. So this can and should be a corporate strategy, not just a personnel strategy. And you mentioned obviously the financial benefits. What other benefits uh, are we seeing? What about diversity, for example? Is remote work or distributed work a good strategy to increase diversity? Absolutely. So we see much, much higher levels of diversity and inclusion in virtual workforces for many reasons. The primary reason, though, is that because of how virtual work needs to be managed and needs to be supervised, it's very based on results. Um, so it's not so much about interaction and and just, you know, personality dynamics. That There really isn't a space for that um, because we have to track results. That's how we supervise productivity is that we measure results instead of where they are and are they sitting at their desk. And because obviously we don't have that, that visibility. So because of that, everybody is 
completely capable of producing equal results if given the proper environment. And when they are allowed to choose their environment to be in a space that works for them, that is a schedule that works with their, you know, own unique circadian rhythms, or they are allowed uh, asynchronous communication, so they have more cognitive processing time or less cognitive processing time. There's just so much more empowerment of produce the work in a way that works for you and not so much like you're going to come to the office at this time and, and sit in this chair and be surrounded by these people and everybody's expected to produce equal results. Um, we all work in different ways and remote work usually caters to you leaning into that and producing work in the way that works best for you. And because of that, we see enormous diversity. So we see 40% more women in leadership roles in distributed companies than in, in physical-based companies. We see higher uh, equality of traditional discriminatory factors like sexual orientation and gender, age, even height. That's been a cool one because everybody's the same height in, in virtual work. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. And nobody can, you know, dominate the conversation with body language and kind of hover over. That's always fascinating for me to see when I go back into physical offices. But also neurodiversity is a really great one as well. And so we see people with just more diversity in mental and behavioral health or cognitive processing disorders that have more space to work in the way that works best for them. So yes, we see immense diversity and inclusion progress in virtual work. And what is great, I I found as I was listening that is that the the great equalizer here is result. It's not about trying to single out certain demographics and saying we want more of this or we want more of that, which obviously is is important in itself, but we're using a generic type of metric or a measure that applies to everyone and we're saying we're all accountable for our results regardless of different background or types. Exactly. And that's something that we hear all the time after making the change management um, or after completing the change management process is that our clients will often say, wow, who I thought were my highest performers are actually my lowest performers. And who I thought were my lowest performers are actually my highest performers. I was measuring the wrong metrics. And so it, it's a new way of working and a better way of management regardless of workplace location. And I'd be curious to hear your perspective also on gig working, because consciously or not, when we talk about remote and distributed work, we often have the archetype of, you know, you work full-time permanent for one company, you happen to be able to do that from home or part part-time home, part-time in the office. However, there is a growing part of the working population, I mean, depending on the countries, who are gig workers. So is that something that you see increasing with the, you know, the increasing popularity of remote work? Absolutely. The majority of, of freelancers and independent contractors or gig workers, however you want to call it, um, the majority of them are remote workers. And this has been a really great opportunity for people to lean into career development on their own, very autonomously and independently and say, I'm going to start a side business, or I'm going to look for opportunities to practice a new skill, or I'm going to whatever, like I'm going to try to get a job with that company that I've been had my eye on for all these years, but I'm just going to, to join them as an independent contractor and 
as like the new temp to hire model. And so I can work with them part-time until they offer me a full-time role. It's really been an expansion and a development of how we think about workforce development. And it's exciting to watch how it's impacting education and really speeding up the training process. I know that for about two years, I went full independent contractor and um, I was just accepting a, a, a lot of different gigs. And I kept commenting uh, about that to my peers and to my family saying, I am gaining more experience at such an accelerated rate in this year and, and six months and two years than I have in the decade of my year previous. Um, it was just phenomenal to see how many opportunities I had to learn and grow because I was in control. I could go and and say, yeah, that like this is a skill that I have a little bit of, I'd like to learn more of. And I would go get a contract working on that with either as an individual or as a team. And it was incredible. It was just absolutely amazing to watch. So yeah, now we're seeing this big hybridization of the gig economy and the employment business world where those are meshing as well. So we see enterprises that have large freelancer departments and we have freelancers that are, are joining um, other companies both in the short term and in the long term. So it's this, a great unification is, is starting to emerge. And it's, I would say, a refreshing point of view because typically when we talk about freelancers, and gig economy, there's a rather negative press. It's presented as a depressing future where you don't have all the traditional benefits of the traditional workplace. What you're saying actually is that this could be an accelerator for career. It does come, however, I believe with a certain ethics or mindset of the gig worker where you have to own your career your development and so on yeah a lot more self-management is required but if the companies are willing to embrace this new model of working there's enormous benefits for them as well i i personally advise all of my clients in this area as well as leverage them in my own company which is I have complete control over how quickly my business scales. And as a small business, that's critical. That's absolutely essential. So this isn't just an, an enterprise strategy, but this is for all sizes of businesses. I mean, think about that really critical stage for an entrepreneur when you are feeling completely maxed out and you are stressed out, you, you are exceeding your work, but you still don't have quite enough time and money and, and revenue to support a full-time employee. And so a lot of entrepreneurs, their businesses break in that phase because they that's just too big of a jump. However, um, with a contractor that solves the problem, you can hire somebody just for a few hours or just for a few weeks and be able to get the relief and the assistance that you need and then scale the business up exactly at that rate. So when you have more revenue come in, you have you increase the hours of your contractor and it just keeps expanding and expanding from there. So yes, that makes a lot of sense for a small business, but for a mid-sized business as well. This means you can stand up new departments and new products at exactly the rate that you are earning revenue for it. So it makes bootstrapping so much more viable um, for all sizes of businesses which obviously is really helpful in our current economic climate. And we can think of scenarios where you start bringing, whether contractor or full-time employees, but if we start blending those who are used to the remote and distributed work with the more 
typical office space employees, it's almost like we're bringing two culture together. And I know you've been given some thought about how to bridge the uh, the cultural gaps between these two groups. Any recommendation on how to make this work? Yes. So the critical skill to understand and to implement and to nurture for remote workers is self-management. This is autonomy. And this has been severely lacking in traditional office environments. We um, have subconsciously caused a very dependent mindset in our employees. Like you come to work and then you're triggered by the environment to start working and you're there, but you may or may not be productive. You're sitting at your desk, so you feel like you're working. Are you actually being productive? We're not sure. But then the the boss walks by, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm I'm now I'm going to be reactive, or I'm going to wait for an assignment from the boss to come in. And there's very very little intrinsic motivation and very little proactivity in that environment. And that's that's a blanket statement. That's not true for every single company culture, but as a whole, it, it's been a it's been a weakness in office environments for a long time because it's easy to hide and because you're physically present, so it's easy to hide your virtual presence as well. When we are hiring from the gig economy or blending those two worlds like you talked about, what we see is a really strong presence of self-management because these gig workers are independent. They're independent contractors. They're responsible for their own taxes. They're responsible for finding their own business. They're responsible for their own reporting. And so they have this high, high level of independence. And that's exactly the mindset and the work ethic that we want to be uh, nurturing in all workers, regardless of employment status or regardless of, of the, their location. We want everybody to be more autonomous, more empowered to make their own decisions. So if I were to give a training to the workforce, again, regardless of, of employment type or location, I would focus and I do focus exclusively on how do we become more effective self managers that don't require as close supervision and are going to produce great results regardless of proximity to their boss. Um, and so that is nurturing soft skills like proactivity and communication and discipline and um, you know self-awareness, critical thinking, empathy, all of those skills become much, much more important when you're working independently. And what about mental health? Because with all this autonomy and, and self-management, there's also a lot of consideration to how will people manage their mental sanity and in working in a different work setting, especially now with the crisis for a lot of people who are not used to it. What kind of safeguards need to be in place to ensure that we preserve people's cognitive and, and emotional stability? Yeah, so this is where we see a lot of finger pointing that the employees are pointing to the employers and the employers are pointing to the employees and each of them are saying, well, this is your responsibility. Um, so what we need is we need support from both sides. The ironic caveat here is that most employers are afraid that their employees are not going to be working if they're not supervised. Um, however, what we see on the employee side is that they like working remotely. They feel more balanced and in control and empowered and just free and flexible. And so they need feel the need to work very hard to keep this and to keep this flexibility. So therefore, they're working extra hard to show, look, I can be productive outside of the office. 
So I'm going to prove it to you that I can keep this as, as a working model for myself. And so what happens is that the average remote worker works two to four hours per day more than an in-office counterpart. And that's part of why we see this great productivity, but it also means that our remote workers are extremely susceptible to burnout. And so what needs to happen from both sides is that there needs to be a culture of trust that we say that the employer is saying, I trust you and give you full permission. I will not think less of you if you stick to an eight hour day, or if you're not producing a deliverable at the end of the day, I still trust that you have been productive or, and, or I have methods of reporting productivity that will give me proof that you have been productive throughout the day in various ways, not just producing a deliverable or tangible result, but you can report to me and say, yeah, I brainstormed all of these ideas and I drew great inspiration and here's what I learned today. And um, I had a great meeting with this client and uh, I look forward to nurturing that relationship. Like we as, as managers are diversifying the definition of pr productivity and giving the, the trust and the empowerment to our workers to just work the allotted amount of time so that they don't feel like they have to inflate their results to impress us. But then on the employee side, again, this is part of self-management. Self-management is not just writing your to-do list. It is taking care of yourself in whatever ways you need to produce your best work. That's what a manager does is make sure that the employee is cared for. And so therefore, when you're a self-manager, you need to do that for yourself. And that means you have to be very disciplined about setting those boundaries for yourself. And that also means that you need to be very open and transparent with your manager saying, thank you for the assignment. I just wanted to let you know that I received it. I'm logged off for the weekend, but I'll get to this first thing on Monday morning and creating those boundaries and enforcing those boundaries for yourself. So on both sides, we, we cannot and will not see a solution to this, this mental health crisis of burnout and micromanagement and isolation that traditionally come with remote work until both the employer and the employee are willing to set those boundaries and enforce them with trust and respect. And I'm thinking that in the end, it will be a lot on leaders and or, or managers at every level in the organization to orchestrate both the needs and the policies of the organizations with the individual well-being of the worker, which then put leaders in a very critical position. Is there something else? And, you know, this is going to be my last question for you today. Is there something else that leaders need to be thinking about to manage in an office-less setting because it seems like it's not exactly like in an office-based environment. The real trick here is to make sure that you understand that it is customizable. So it doesn't have to be one size fits all. You know, if you go on Google and you search for remote work best, you know, tips and practices, you're going to get a lot of noise, especially post COVID. I mean, there's just hundreds and thousands of guides out there. And you're going to feel this pressure of like, oh, that does that make sense for my team? And I don't know, like that doesn't seem like it would work for me. The entire premise of remote work is that you are empowered. Howard. 
you as an employee, you as an employer, everybody is empowered with more control, more discipline. Therefore, every single leader should be taking the opportunity to say, how do I want to leverage remote work? How do I want to apply this to our team? What makes sense for our industry? What makes sense for our culture? What makes sense for um, me and my management style? Like what makes sense for us? And then customize it. Obviously, it really helps to have a consultant during that process, of course, but it is, it's a, at least a self-awareness training that every single leader should go through. And then when you figure that out, you just write it down in a policy. That's what a remote work policy can and should be, is how does remote work work at our company? What does it look like? What are the expectations for making remote work effective in our team? And so it a remote work policy shouldn't just be a you know signature that says, yes, I'm allowed to work offsite. It should be a very dynamic, comprehensive file and document that stays active and alive for a long time that it really articulates, this is what we expect. This is how we stay in touch virtually. This is how it's going to be different so that everybody is on the same page and there it really prevents a lot of miscommunication. For any of you or your listeners, Distribute Consulting website, we do have a free policy checklist that we offer to everybody that includes quite a massive list of a whole bunch of different topics that you can and should be thinking about and discussing as a team before going remote to really solidify those expectations for both parties. Well, Laurel, this has been a very rich conversation about economies, organizations, leaders, and individuals. So on, on behalf of all the listeners, thank you so much for your time. Where can we find more details about your work, your ideas? The best place to find us is at Distribute consulting.com. Um, however, I love getting to know new people. I love virtual networking. So it's always e easy to find me on LinkedIn, just my name. I'm the only Laurel Farr. So it's pretty easy to find me. I'm also on Twitter if, if that's an easier medium. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was Abrupt Future. I hope you learned something valuable. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and any feedback or rating is greatly appreciated. On LinkedIn and in real life, my name is Benoit Hardy-Vallée and I thank you for your time.